What is up, guys? This is the Wise and Well podcast, and I am your host, Herman Lin. My mission is to help make fitness and nutrition way more simple and realistic for you so that you can improve both your physical and mental health. Each week, I interview a guest to bring you actionable insights that you can apply every day to build the healthiest and most fulfilling life. Let's go. What is up, guys? Today, we have Stephanie Michelle on the show, who is a disordered eating coach, primarily focusing on helping people overcome binge eating and body image challenges. I really wasn't sure what direction this was going to go when I first asked Stephanie to come on, but man, this turned into probably one of the deepest conversations I think you'll hear on this show so far. You're going to hear about both of our experiences with tribalism in the diet world and how easy it is to get wrapped up in just all the misinformation that there is in the nutrition world. We talk a lot about the role of food insecurity growing up and how restriction often leads to binge eating as an adult. We talk about some of the side effects of popular diets like intermittent fasting or going low carb and how the definition of health has evolved into something different for both of us based off of our our past experiences. So I think at the very least, you're going to walk away with at least one new perspective around your own diet and just your overall relationship with food. So before we get started, guys, just a reminder, if you are enjoying the show, make sure to hit subscribe and give a great five-star review. It really goes a long way. All right, let's do it. Hello, Stephanie. How are you doing? I'm pretty well today. Thanks for having me here. Of course. Thanks for coming on. I am uh, I'm super excited to have you. There's so many questions I have to ask, so I will I will try not to be all over the place. But um, you know, just to kind of give you a glimpse, a, a lot of what we talk about on this show in general is really kind of the relationship between physical health and mental health. And you know, I know a lot of people want to lose fat, they want to look better, they you know they have all these goals, they want to feel better, right? They just want to kind of feel good and move through mm-hmm. life. Um, and there's a lot that, you know, there's a lot of tactical things we can give and there's a lot of dieting advice and all that, but I, I wanted to bring you on because there's a whole other side of it too. And, and that's the, the mental and the emotional relationship, um, with food, with exercise, with dieting, um, with all those things. So one, could you just kind of explain a little bit about, uh, what you do and, and how you got into it? Yeah. The link that you're making here between, uh, health and, and physical health and mental health was completely lost on me until about four years ago. Um, not that I didn't understand it intellectually, but I really wasn't letting it in. Um, I developed a disordered eating and eating disorder really, um, when I was an adolescent, uh, just coming off the heels of, I was, I was a shy kid. I was pretty insecure. I was typical perfectionist, straight A student mm. type of, you know, thought I had to check all the boxes and, um, it, de- it, it morphed into anorexia and then from there developed into bulimia and then binge eating and orthorexia throughout, you know, for the next two and a half decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried everything. Uh, I, I worked. It was so interesting because I worked on my mental health all along, you know, that way because I also had d- depression and anxiety, which I thought were actually pr- byproducts of my eating disorders. Um, I've since come to learn that they uh, 
I, I've, I've healed from an eating disorder. I still um, deal with some, some bouts of anxiety, less so depression these days, sure. but I started to understand my own mental health and physical health through the lens of each other. Um, and about four years ago, um, gosh, I, I, people ask me this question all the time and I'm not really sure like how it exactly happened, but I started to, um, understand eating as a restriction of self and mm. as a, uh, you know, the ways that I was trying to restrict myself and restrict who I was and fit into a box, mm -hmm. um, and conform to the things that everyone in our culture was telling me about what I should do and what I, who I should be and how I should look and yeah. started to just sort of, uh, do things for myself for the first time. And so I did recover. I took a, about a year, kind of, kind of took a year off of my life, uh, to recover from this eating disorder. And I lived to tell the tale. And then I became a coach actually, because I, I said to myself at some point, if I, if I heal from this, I would like, I want to help other people be able to do that. So, um, mm. that's what I'm doing now. I'm a coach for uh, binge eating recovery and body image among other forms of disordered eating. That's one. That's amazing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a space I think that we don't shed enough light on and people don't have enough help when they, you know, some don't even realize that they're going through it. So to have someone out there that's talking about it, speaking about the science of it, you know, also not yeah. going the direction of like, Hey, don't worry about your health at all. <laughs> right. You, you definitely don't do that. you you come from a very practical approach of, Hey, here's, here's a better way to do it. Um, that doesn't destroy your mental health along the way. But I'm curious, like what, cause everything you just said, you know, I feel like I resonate with, I feel like a lot of people have come on the show resonate with this, this idea of being kind of the high achiever growing up, you know, maybe you're a perfectionist and, um, some, you know, some people have disordered eating, maybe it's different types of it, but that anxiety, the depression, the bouts of always trying to be better. Um, and I, and I feel I had a very similar moment of when I kind of started realizing like this whole relationship that I had with food and exercise probably was a little bit skewed was I, when I finally stopped letting go of this external pressure, right. Trying to do all these things to kind of satisfy the views of everybody else of what we should be doing. Yes. And that's, I mean, I don't, I think most of the time we're not really conscious that we're doing that. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I certainly wasn't walking around understanding that that's how I was looking at life. It wasn't really until I got out of it that I was able to look, look back and say, oh, wow, I really was not living in first person, which is the yeah. way I like to talk about it. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of readiness that comes. Um, for me, I was I was almost 40. I have three kids. Um, mm. and I was, so I was approaching my 40th birthday and I was thinking about all of the ways in my head. I was like, okay, this is going to be the decade, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I was like, that's exactly what I say every year. Um, <laughs> that's what I said when I turned 30 too. And that's what I said when I turned 20. And, and I was like, I could really just keep doing this, but it's just that I was, I kept adopting new versions of it and it looked yeah. different on the outside. So I thought it was different and it was, you know, what had been in, you know, diet culture led yeah. disorder became wellness culture. 
uh, mm-hmm. and especially in my thirties where it was kind of like, oh yeah, right. Uh, dieting's not cool anymore, but now I'm on the health train and like, I'm going to, you know, become my best self by not eating gluten and dairy and, yeah. um, clean eating. And, and I thought it was, um, I was on really a moral high ground and didn't realize that I was, but I thought it was the pursuit of something new. Um, and I think as I, you know, as I got closer to this, this pivotal time in my life for whatever reasons, it, you know, I was ready for that. It, I started to understand it as like, I'm just basically following what the, you know, the wellness gods or the, or the, you know, the, the thinness gods or whoever they are yeah. tell me to do, um, what makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first time I had this independent thinking track of, of being able to sort of see through the fog and say, what makes sense for me, for my body, for the context of my life? I think this occurred to me actually, because I was working with someone, I was an occupational therapist, but I was working on the side as a coach at the time. And I was a sugar detox coach and I helped Mm. people like kick sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had somebody come up to me and she was having like, kind of like a, a little bit of a, a panic moment because she had eaten too many blueberries Mm. or grapes. It was grapes. I'm sorry. And she was like, there's too much sugar in the grapes. And she was really freaking out. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my, like, I just felt like I stepped out of this, this, I don't know, this field. And I was like, yeah. I've made somebody terrified to eat grapes. Um, and it didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense in my mind. And I was just thinking about, um, she was with her grandson when she was eating the grapes. And I was like, I made somebody afraid to eat grapes with her grandson. And, (laughs) you know, like it's, this is not, this is not so serious. And I, that was the beginning of, I just remember that timeframe is the beginning of starting to think it more independently about, uh, what made sense. And Mm. that, that helped, you know, spur the journey, which now I really see as, um, and I think about breaking out of an eating disorder and disordered eating as really taking a lot of independent thought because there's so much rhetoric that we're up against. And even just in mainstream, like any headline, anytime you turn on your computer, you're, or you're you know, scroll through your phone, you're seeing messages that are telling you to conform or to shape yourself or to lose this or to, you know, be better. And, and there's just so much navigating that we have to do around what do I want to take in and what do I need to leave? Um, and being able to do that is really an art form at this point, given our, you know, wh- how much exposure we have to, to social media and all the, me- all the messages that we get every single day from all sorts of people, including me, <laughs> um, yeah. but there's so much influence out there and we have to be able to wade through it. Yeah. What do you, what do you think that is that draws us to this, you know, cause it is wellness culture is essentially now like the new disguise for diet culture or, or you can call it biohacking, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's just this whole idea that there's a rule book to be healthy. Right. And if you don't follow it and you don't cut out all these foods entirely, then it's going to be the worst thing in the world. And it's, I mean, I think part of it's probably just a sense of tribalism. Right. And mm-hmm. we want to, we want to be part of, of the group, but I've had the same exact things. Like there's, there's moments that I've had in the past where I'd be following the protocols. Right. And I think I never really struggled necessarily with like anorexia or, or, or not eating, but it was definitely avoiding carbs, you know, avoiding gluten, avoiding bread entirely, um, intermittent fasting in the mornings. Um, and, and just trying to really focus on clean eating, right. Avoiding anything that had more than five ingredients on the back, And it's these things that like, to your point, when you stop and think about it, you know, nobody in the history of the planet has become obese because they ate too many grapes, 
Like that's <laughs> just, that it just, that has not happened. But I think when you're in this world, it's like, it's like being part of a cult almost, you know, like you're, you're willing yes. to ignore some of those things that don't make sense in your head because it doesn't, it doesn't follow the orthodoxy. Yes. It's almost like a new religion. Yeah. Um, and I guess to your original question of why, you know, why does this happen? I mean, that would be like taking on the question of why do we need religion and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think there is something so human about needing to pin our hopes and dreams and, and, and some kind of promised land idea on yeah. something outside of us. I just read a book called Bittersweet by um, Susan Cain, and she talks about this a lot in the book and how, um, you know, there seems to be this natural drive toward and, and through religion, we see it played out through there. But I think I applied it to diet culture. And, you know, as I was reading it and thinking, yeah, it's this idea that there is something greater outside of us. Mm -hmm. And as humans, we make it mean whatever we make it mean. Um, and I think that diet dieting has become I mean, it's it's such a high value system. It has been tied to morality. Um, mm. It has been tied to, you know, um, belonging and safety and and it's an easy slide into making that like the pinnacle of, you know, what we, what we bow down to. And I believe, I do think it feels, and I know it can feel like that. Like, um, like there's this answer that if we figure it out or if we do the things we will, we will find, you know, the next level or we'll find yeah. happiness or we'll find truth or we'll, we'll find God. Um, yeah. and I think it's this actually quite old, um, pattern of, of our human evolution to, to be seeking that. It's just that I don't think we find it there, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but it certainly holds all the, you know, it, it, ha it has a lot of promise to be the thing. It's, it is interesting. I mean, you know, it's, I don't think it's a secret that religion in general has declined, you know, over the yeah. last 50 years. And it's, that probably coincides a little bit with, with some of these, you know, not even just with the nutrition, but look at, look at politics too, right? You, you find the same kind of tribalism there. It's like people yeah. almost need something that's bigger than them. Yes. And when you don't have, if you're, if you're not religious, you're not spiritual, you just find it somewhere else. And right. nutrition happens to be that. And now it's like, it's almost, you, it almost looks like Christianity, right? Where it's splintered off into all these different <laughs> groups. You got, you got vegans, you got carnivores, you, you know, you got, you got all these people and, and it's a slippery slope because yeah. if you really want to, you know, if you say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to try out this carnivore thing, right? You go to their Instagram, you get, you follow the right people. They'll make it sound very smart. And, uh -huh. And all the people in there will be an echo chamber and they'll tell you like, Hey man, this is it. This is how you do it. You know, don't listen to those vegans. Don't listen to all the people that are that totally. broccoli is going to kill you. And here's why. <laughs> and, and it's, it's very easy to kind of fall into that. And then with the algorithms of Instagram, right now you're bombarded with only those types of videos. So yeah. it's like every, that becomes your universe. That becomes everything that you believe. And then you're the guy who's at the party who's like only eating steak and you're yelling at your aunt because she's you know, eating the peas or whatever it is. That is so relatable. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> so true. And such a great, I mean, it's, yes, it's exactly like that, like the splintering and the, um, the different cults, I suppose of, of, mm -hmm. or the sectionism of, of all of this. And I guess like when you think of it that way, it's thinking about like, 
well, I suppose to some degree we might, we might think we need it. And maybe there is some kind of, um, there's a purpose to it of, of feeling like there's something we can place our higher trust in, or even something that gives us routine mm. um, and meaning and um, something to follow. I think that as humans, that there is a natural um, feeling of like that feels good. Um, but I also think that as a culture, we haven't been raised at least, I mean, I'm a child of the eighties and nineties. And um, so my parents were more baby boomers and mm -hmm. I, I was raised in a household that very much was like, you know, stop, stop crying, stop, you know, just kind of yeah. pull up your bootstraps and get on with it. Um, very, very, didn't really know what to do with emotions at all. And so mm -hmm. it was kind of like, here's what you, and so there wasn't a lot of sense of internal trust. It was, um, like anything I was feeling was quite, you know, my parents kind of didn't know what to do with. So it was really like just shoved, you know, just bypassed. And so I didn't really ever learn to think about or, or to trust what was going on inside. So I had to look outside to learn how should I be behaving? Like, what am I supposed right. to be doing? Because what I'm getting from the inside is not correct, I guess. So um, I think that it's been bred into us to, you know, same with them. Um, I think about my classrooms when I was growing up and, and the kids in the classrooms who like needed to move and needed to, you know, they just sort of needed to process and they were always in motion and they had to sit still, sit still, or they go into the principal's office. Mm -hmm. And now finding, you know, I have a daughter who um, may or may not have ADHD. I'm not quite sure, but certainly presents with a lot of energy and needs mm -hmm. to move to think. Um, and my brother's this way too. And now that's much more accommodated um, because I think it's recognized more as like, there's just neurodivergence and there's different types of ways people learn and there's different needs in, in our, in different bodies and different brains. Um, whereas where, when I was growing up, this was, you know, really shunned. And so yeah. I, I think that we have learned at least generationally, um, my generation, our generation, more, I think you're younger than me, but um, <laughs> Not that you know, our generation is, more inclined to not really know how to look internally or how to mm -hmm. trust that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I, I would, I would echo that too. I think it was, you know, my household was, I wouldn't say we talked about emotions really ever. I think it was, you know, there was structure for sure. It was discipline. It was, Hey, this is how you do good in school. And this is how you grow up to be a good person and all those types of things. And then when you do that, you know, you kind of, leave school eventually and you get a job. So that's, you know, that's, that's at least structured. But I think then you start looking for this pattern of, okay, well, how do I get validation? How do I get, how do I know if I'm doing good or bad? So right. these, you know, when it comes to food, these types of people out there are programs that give you a list of green foods and red foods, right? Like this is, this means that you're succeeding. This is failing. Like it's very enticing because it's, it's yeah. a system. It's something that you're like, okay, got it. I just yes. do this and then I'm happy. Right. Yes. Yes. Until it's it doesn't clear. work. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's, that's what I ran up against where, um, for, I'm going to take fasting cause you mentioned it mm -hmm. and it was such an alluring concept to me because, um, you could read all about how much sense it makes, you know, yep. and all the studies that show, although now I know that they generally study men, um, and mm. postmenopausal women more than they studied, you know, women that were my age bracket, but, um, there was a lot of, of evidence to support why that would be great for me and mm -hmm. it might help me to find some kind of, including mental health. I thought that, you know, a way to beat my anxiety and depression would be to level out um, my, my hormones and to level out, um, you know, just to regulate my body through fasting. Mm. So I kept trying it 
And, you know, I would have success for a little while and then I would end up moving into binge cycles, really, really intense binge cycles, Mm -hmm. likes of which I really didn't experience in any other part of my life. Um, And kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. And the binges got worse and worse and worse. This actually led right up to about the time where I ended up recovering. I think that level of exhaustion post fasting was the impetus for me, really just where it became enough. Um, But that was where the thinking came in of, there, this is what all the books say. This is what the, the, you know, this is the barometer of success and health according to all these things I'm reading, but it is not making sense for me. It is not working for me. And it took me years of, of running up against the same evidence to admit that to myself. And I think that there is this real, real like blind spot we have around what we're, the information we're getting from ourselves that we're just not factoring in because it doesn't make sense out in the world. That's telling, and this is the, this is where we've put a lot of stock into telling us how to how to move, how to how to succeed, how to thrive, how to be our best self. Um, and there's a lot of pressure to do that. And so, um, this is the crossroads I think of when something is not working for you, um, but it's supposed to be. And what do we do with that? Were you aware of it? in the moment. Cause I, I feel the same exact way with being low carb. And I, and I, when I say low carb, it's like, I was never fully keto, but I was probably eating, you know, a hundred to 150 grams a day. Um, and staying very active, you know, yeah. back then I was doing orange theory multiple times a week. I was strain training. I was, I think, I think I was probably even training for a marathon at some point, wow. but, um, you know, it was definitely not enough for, for the amount of activity level I was doing. And for years I felt like shit, you know, yes. and, I didn't, and I didn't understand that it was because I didn't have enough energy in my body. And it's, you know, I, I remember these symptoms of feeling super fatigued, super anxious. My eyes will get super dry at night when we're like going somewhere. My sleep was always off. My digestion was terrible all these things. And instead of thinking about, oh, maybe it's because I'm not eating enough carbs. It was, you know, I was fully convinced that was the way to go, right? Like, uh-huh. no, I well, I got that one down. So I just need to find like the next missing piece. Like what else do I got to add? Maybe it's a, uh, maybe I got to add MCT oil to my coffee, yes. right? <laughs> or I need, or I need that bone broth before, before lunch to break my fast. Like it was always like, there's gotta be something else missing rather than just being like, Hey dude, you're neglecting an entire macronutrient. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like so obvious. And it's like, you're right. You're it's like, let me go to the functional medicine doctor and figure out what uh, yeah. supplements I need to take and, and what superfoods I need to be putting mm-hmm. in my smoothie, um, my carb free smoothie. Uh, further get going down the rabbit hole, which is exactly actually what I did. I, I ended up get making myself sicker by, by eliminating more. Cause that mm. was what I was taught, told to do. Um, what the worse I was feeling. And then it was like, Oh, right. I, I think I just need to, I need to eat more. Like I need to eat more food. It's <laughs> yeah. so basic, but we miss yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and you, you would ask me a question about it and I'm, uh, I forgot I was what just it saying, was. Um, d- in the moment, like, were you feeling those symptoms or is it something similar to how I was just talking about? Like, is this something that you look back at now and say, it's so obvious, but at the time I didn't even understand that I actually felt bad. Yes. So my, my symptoms showed up through anxiety. Like my anxiety was through the roof, um, Mm. during the time that I wasn't feeding myself properly. And I thought that it was just me. I thought it was my character. 
um, that I just needed to like calm down. Uh, It's interesting because I have clients now who, when they're coming out of more of the clients who are more on the restrictive side of things or even anorexic side of things, and they're, they're starting to incorporate more food, particularly carbs. I have one client who's, who was kind of just beside herself when she said, I, I just ate, you know, pasta for the first time in 50 years. And, um, she said, I can't tell you the sense of calm that came over me. Like Mm. as like just having this in my, in my body and has since realized like what that was doing. And she had just been like, I just thought I was an anxious person. Like all the time, just, and that's exactly how I'd felt. I'd felt like I was just, I, I just couldn't get it together. It was like my own character. Um, and lo and behold, when I started eating enough and in my recovery, that, you know, that process of, of refeeding myself, I suppose, uh, yeah, I just was able to mellow out a little bit more. I was able to incorporate a lot more of the strategies that I'd been trying to incorporate for a long time that weren't working, like even just emotional regulation tools and other mental health tools that mm-hmm. I had, you know, you read about, you hear about, but they never worked. They never really made sense to me. And all of a sudden they started to make sense to me because I had the, I had the missing link of being fed. It's such a basic, basic, basic thing. Yeah. But I never would have named that in the moment. I think that in the moment I was really, really in, I couldn't. It was part of my identity at the time to to be morally virtuous through food and to be perfect through food and high achieving through food. So I wouldn't have wanted to look at that as as a potential reason why I was why I was not feeling well or why I was mentally really not feeling well. Uh, I I don't think I could have seen that. Yeah, I think we're just I think we're really bad at taking direction and then actually assessing if it's working, I think we, we take the direction and we're like, okay, I'm just going to do this from now on. But then we don't Mm. stop and say, okay, how I've been doing this for two weeks. How does this actually make, make me feel? I had a, I had a client, the same thing, you know, said that his sleep was terrible. Like just could, he was always waking up tired and wired. And as soon as he said that, I I was like, huh, do you, you, are you low carb by any chance? <laughs> and oh yeah, yeah, I I eat like a hundred grams a day. I'm like, oh okay, cool. Let's just try adding some carbs in and see how you sleep. Two weeks later, he's like, I sleep great. <laughs> and it's, I'm like, how long has that been going on? <laughs> you know, um, it's a, and and I think carbs. I think in general, you know, it's it's not essential, and that's what people always cling on is you don't need them to live. It's like, well, yeah, you don't need them to live technically, but <laughs> you're probably yeah. going to live a little bit better if you do exactly incorporate them, right? Um, yeah, it's like thriving, not surviving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, you talk a lot about the relationship between restricting and and binging and just that whole cycle in general. Could you just shed some light? Because I think this is I think this is such an important topic because so many people find themselves in this pattern. Yes, it's one of my favorite things to talk about because um, for most of my life, I was convinced that I um, had a binge eating problem, but not a restricting problem. So Mm -hmm. I would find myself hijacked completely. And anyone who has binge eating in their background will know what I'm talking about, um, where it's like you're aware that you're eating and that you're, or that you're about to eat and, and that you don't want to be doing that, but it doesn't matter. You just are, you're doing it anyway. And this, this is a moment of conflict for so many people because they'll, they'll really get into a self blame and self critical cycle around like, why do I, why do I self-sabotage? Why do I do these things? Um, I just don't have enough willpower. And, and Mm. I blamed it a lot on my willpower. And now I understand a lot better what's going on is that, 
when we are restricting, which most people will think about, oh, restriction, it means anorexia or restriction means, you know, you're eating a little bit of food, but right. restriction is much broader in scope than that. It's fasting, even if you're eating more calories than, than the RDA, right? It's, you know, if, if you're restricting periods of time that you're eating, you're still moving your body into a starvation mode by definition of what fasting really is. Mm -hmm. um, low carb is restriction of a food, a major food group. Um, and plenty of other ways that we like even whole 30 is restriction um, because it is still only certain types of foods that you're allowed to eat. There's also mental restriction, which is the idea that you shouldn't be eating foods, even if you actually are eating them. So if your brain is telling you that what you're doing is bad and that tomorrow you're going to get back on track and that you're, feel, you're, you're eating this, but you feel so guilty about it, your brain's wiring that as scarcity because it it's understanding that in the future, this food or this amount of food may be restricted. So it's just gearing up to um, hoard the food now because it understands that probably predictably in the future it will go on a diet or it will be mm -hmm. you know clean clean eating tomorrow so we need to get this these sugars and carbs in now um, and so I never considered myself a restrictor because I was binging so I assumed that that was th those two things were mutually exclusive um, but in fact uh, understanding that my binges would not stop until my restriction stopped was really the turnaround for me because I had always been waiting for my binges to stop before I would stop restricting. Yeah, I uh, couldn't understand why my body wouldn't just get on board with that. I really was very frustrated by the fact that I would eat so many calories at a time and my body couldn't just use them the next day. Like I couldn't understand that uh, when in fact, this is really evolutionary. So your body is terrified of, of these famines and this, these fasts, it, it, you know, just from the basis of how we've survived until this point, you know, having famines in, in our daily landscape prior to our, you know, to these centuries, more modern centuries, but was, you know, this was a critical time of having to like, okay, you know, we need more fat on our body in order to survive the famine times. So your body is much more inclined to put the weight on than to take the weight off. And because we live in a world where, you know, the body ideals are, are much smaller than most people's weight set ranges and where the, our bodies are actually more comfortable and feel like they're healthy, we believe that we're supposed to be, you know, in this smaller part, which is actually a semi-starvation. And the body's fighting against that. And the body's just saying, hey, I don't want to look like a Kardashian. Like, I, 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 wanna, <laughs> I need to look like me. Like, this yeah. is where my genetics are. Um, and we fight it and we fight it and we push our bodies under you know, under where they want to be and the bodies we, you know, we, I think it's a kind of a, like, there's a reverence for this. Like our body's like, no, I've been doing this for centuries and centuries and centuries. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, we're going to put the weight on. And this is the hijacking that comes up in a binge where your, your primal brain is really turning on to, 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 to eat the food. Um, it's not to do with your willpower. It's actually a defense that's in a different part of the brain that's taking over to, um, to store the food in, in preparation for the restriction of it. Yeah. And, and I don't think people realize, you know, the binge on the weekend is, I always say it starts on Monday. You know, it, it's, it starts when you go into the Monday being like, okay, well that was bad. So today I'm, I'm going the other way and, you know, maybe you skip breakfast or maybe, you know, you have just like two eggs and then, for, for lunch, you, you do the, the big salad trend. I'm going to have a big ass salad. Right. And, yeah. but in that salad is just like four cups of greens and nothing else. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't think people realize like how much they swing the calories the other way. Right. right? Um, and you're, you get to a point where it's just, 
you, like you said, you go on autopilot, Like your brain's like, dude, I'm not letting you control this anymore because you, exactly. you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and it's, it's so hard. Cause I, I talk to people all the time, like just, you know, just eat normal, eat like you normally would on, on this Monday. Don't treat it like a different day. Don't make up for yesterday. And people always say like, well, what, what are some more filling snacks or what are, what are some things I can add? I'm like, what, do you need a snack? You know, what if you just made your meals bigger? Right. Yeah. Like what if you just actually ate more food during breakfast so that you didn't feel hungry until lunch? Cause I don't think it's also good that you're just constantly thinking about food. Right. That like I think that's yeah. a signal that you probably yes. should be eating more during your meals. Yes. I have so many people say to me that they're they think they're food addicts and um food mm -hmm. obsessed, you know, because they're obsessed with food and and they they again they consider it part of their identity. And it's like, no, when you're thinking about food all the time, that's a sign from your brain that you need to go get some more food. Yeah. But to your point, it's like people will be like, yeah, but I just like had all this food on the weekend. Like I really overdid it. So it almost feels right to, to, to move into the week to, in this restrictive mindset to sort of make up for it. But the, the body, I, I always think of it like a bank account, like an IRA or, or like, you know, your, your 401k, you can't use the food from the weekend to get you through Wednesday. You know, like yeah, it's, it's not or Friday, it's not, it does, the body doesn't do it like that. It's at that point, those calories are, are stored and it's not easy to just liquidate them and, and use them. You know, if that's the way it worked, I don't know, that's just not the way it works. Yeah. Um, but from a logical point of view, it, it seems to make sense. So I think that that's where people get tripped up and they think they're being good and it's really marketed as good. I mean, I think our society reinforces that eating less is, is a good thing. Um, and you're being responsible. So yeah. uh, there's no real reason unless you're looking for it in like these small corners of Instagram where we're talking about it to, to think otherwise or to understand the connections here and why then the binge is being set up for the following weekend all over again. Yeah, it's really hard because the, the messaging out there is, you know, 95% directed towards weight loss, right? And, you know, we, we do have 40% of the population is obese. So certainly some people would, would benefit from understanding some of the strategies. Um, I think a lot of the marketing out there is much more directed towards those crash diets, right? Which I don't think really help people in the first place. Um, but it's hard because then everybody who is a healthy weight, you know, maybe they don't look like a Kardashian to your point, but they don't necessarily need to lose weight to, to be right. healthy. They see this messaging too. Right. And everyone feels like, okay, well, I got, I, I, people reach out to me all the time. That's like, Hey, I put on a couple pounds. What should I, what should I do? And I'm like, dude, you are fine. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like, you, you're not, you don't need to focus on weight loss. If anything, go to the gym and lift some weights, like get some muscle on you. But yeah. it's, I think we're, we're kind of programmed into that mentality. Um, and you know, what, what do you think? Why do you think that drives, or I guess not why, but how do you help people kind of get through that piece of not comparing themselves? to the body mm -hmm. they see on Instagram, right? Or, or on TV. So unfortunately, this, this has to be intentional because the, the default imagery and messaging that you'll, you'll get will equate health with thinness. Mm -hmm. um, really, they're one and the same as far as most of, uh, of the messaging that we're getting. And so you have to seek out um, other forms of representation. I remember uh, learning about this at one time, and I used Instagram actually as a main vehicle for, for changing my mindset on this by, um, and I, and I still do this today on my own feed is I will post images of all of diverse body sizes and diverse body shapes, 
um, to normalize, first of all, other ways of looking because mm. your brain will learn to prefer and to think is normal what it sees the most often. Mm. So if we're not, and we're, we're not shown images of mid-sized bodies or larger bodies, um, except in the context of pathology or like, you know, even if you, I mean, it's incredible really when you think about some of the ways they'll show a celebrity who's who's gained i don't know you know 10 pounds and they'll be like yeah. oh she's really packed it on and meanwhile this is a person who like they're it's not an ab it's it's a healthy body it's um, a normal person yeah and and we'll really be like oh no that's bad that's bad um so we're not really learning to see bodies in a through a, a lens like a realistic lens yeah. um but i think about health as behaviors not as a look so um, when you start to define health through your behaviors instead of um, aesthetics, that's really where things start to change because you can look at, are you moving? Like, does your body get movement on a regular basis that you enjoy that feels good? Um, sleeping, um, hydration, mental health to bring your point back home, like around like the very like the impact of our mental health on our overall health, um, joy, pleasure, passion, like where's your creative outlets, where, um, where's your sense of purpose, your friendships, your community. I mean, that's actually shown to be um, one of the most reliable predictors of longevity and not just longevity, but the thriving, right? Like yeah. long, happy, um, healthy lives is, is our social connection. Yeah. But we're so focused on having a, you know, a six pack or visible abs or a thigh gap as like the barometer of what that's going, you know, of what health really is that we're neglecting. Again, it's the same idea of like, we're missing the bigger pick, the most obvious answers, which are more, much more basic things um, that you really don't have to think that hard about, you know, it's kind of like movement, socializing, like these kind of human things, these human needs that those aren't getting met because we're isolating ourselves so we can get to the gym because we can't go out to dinner anymore because, right. you know, and, and we're asking ourselves why we're still not quite our, our healthy ideal. Um, and it's because we're, we're defining health in the wrong way. Yeah. Wow. There, there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's so true though. It's that I think you're referring to the study by Robert Waldinger, right? That he wrote the good life, just the, what they found after following people for, you know, 80 plus years is that the people who live the longest and the happiest at 80 years old, simply just had the most social connections at age 50. It had nothing to do with their yeah. diet. It had nothing to do with, you know, doing this exact workout program. It was they stayed connected and, they, and yeah. they enjoyed the relationships that they had, which is kind of funny because we don't talk about that at all. None. <laughs> it, yeah, none. And I find that diet culture, you know, being inside of that actually isolates us more. We're in such a rush to be accepted and to be admired by others. And yet in, in the pursuit of it, at least for me uh, and many clients that I've seen, it's almost like the, the further we get into the pursuit of that, the more isolated we become because yeah. um, our worlds really close off to other things um, because we're constantly trying to, you know, like I remember, I mean, I wouldn't go out to dinner with, I, I like freaked out about going out to dinner because it wasn't, you know, I couldn't get the right macro combination or, yes. you know what I mean? I, I would have to eat certain things or I'd have to drink, you know, or I'd feel like I'd have to drink and, you know, and I didn't want those kind of the, that on my, you know, those calories, or I needed to fit the workout in the next day or whatever it would have been it really, it really actually detracted from my, my feeling of social connection, even if yeah. I went through the motions. Well, how much, how much of this also comes from, you know, how often do you see with clients that they turn to food and alcohol on the weekend? Cause they're simply just running away from their life during the week 
you know, and during the week they eat their salads, they have their smoothies and they follow all the rules. Right. And it's literally just like a means to get to the weekend. And mm-hmm. the weekend is just this 48 hour, just free for all. <laughs> and you go nuts because it's like, you're, you, you literally feel like the week is all right, well, Monday, we got to go back. Right. So how do you break out of that? That's like a larger, I think that's where you get into the rut of having lost a sense of meaning in life or having lost a sense of joy. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's actually a big theme that comes up is like where joy comes from. Uh, and those, those other hits of dopamine, because for reasons that I'm sure are far more complicated than I would, you know, I would even be able to get into on, on, on this podcast or even that I am aware of, but, you know, just the way our, our culture moves and the pace of it and the pressures of it and all the expectations of it that we may have lost touch with, again, basic pleasures, like being able to relax um, being able to have more, you know, more to eat at lunch than a salad, being able to um, do work that motivates us. Um, you know, when we lose those sources of simple joy, I think that we're looking to food to fill the gap. And so I think we do get a little bit of like a high from restricting during the week because it feels like mm-hmm. we're doing all the right things in the week. And then we expect some kind of, I think we expect some kind of reward at the weekend because. I don't know, because it's the weekend, because it's like, I've paid my dues. Now, you know, where's my reward? And it actually ends up feeling quite empty. Um, we're not getting that big hit that we feel like we should be getting. Um, and I think we'll, you know, using food and alcohol to sort of numb that disappointment or that lack of actual joy. Um, I don't think it's like a true happiness. It's not a true satisfaction. And um, I think that the weekends can actually be in, in, in what I see with clients are actually more depressing time because it sounds, it sounds like that's more of what's going on. It's just more of like a, a big 48 hours of emptiness. Um, yeah. 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 I, I, I try to tell people, you know, same thing as restricting during the week. I think there's also the same, you could look at fulfillment in that direction too, right? Like go do something during the week, go, go out for, a t- yeah. go out and go bowling on a Tuesday night or, you know, go grab pizza on a Wednesday night, like do something that, brings you some joy and pleasure and takes you out of just kind of the mundane every day. And I get it. That's harder, right? Especially like, let's say someone's got little kids or something, um, you know, but I think you get creative because I think it's very easy to fall into a pattern where you're just doing the same thing every five days and then you do the same thing every two days, right? And you kind of have to force yourself to break out of that a little bit. And I think it's really hard the same way it's hard to, to not binge. I think it's hard not to use the weekend as an escape until mm-hmm. you start incorporating some of that during the week too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great parallel. I think part of that too, like when you were saying going bowling on Tuesdays, there's something about breaking your week up with those like, ah, like some, some, some bit, some hit of whether it's relaxing or it's energizing, it's still a very mm-hmm. present moment when we're we can only be in the present moment when we're feeling connected and when we're like playing really like play is a form of being present. I think that we really can go through an entire five day work week being completely like future focused or, or even like past focused. We're not ever necessarily like in the moment because we're just going through motions to get us to this, like, again, this, this promised weekend. (laughs) Um, so we just sort of puddle along. And I think, I mean, I'm not, huge into mindfulness. I've taken some mindfulness work classes, but I'm, I've 
I'm getting trained in somatic experiencing, which is very uh, much in looking at the, the, the state of the nervous system in the present moment and really mm. um, exploring how much I actually feel a, 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 so different when I work on my somatic experience, meaning like what my body is feeling at any given moment or just noticing my surroundings and noticing, you know, it, it sort of overlaps with mindfulness. The amount of joy that I can actually get in the middle of a random work day just by being present, um, yeah. being present with my clients or being present like with my dog when he comes in and just rather than being on this autopilot brain space of um, like, okay, what do I got to do next? What do I got to do next? It's sort of just like being here. Uh, and when I'm able to access that more often, Again, it doesn't have to look fancy, but it's just this sort of like, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm in my life. I'm participating in my life, and I think that's it's so much easier to access the present moment when we have some some things to be present for, um, yeah. rather than thinking of it as drudgery, you know, to get to something else that's not quite what it seemed. Yeah, I, that is such an excellent point because mindfulness is is another kind of wellness thing that we've hijacked, yeah. right? It's here's, you got to meditate, you got to journal, you got to jump in an ice bath, you know, like whatever it is, like, here's all these, here's all these tools to basically be present. And then you, you have people go, Oh, I, I I don't know. I I hate sitting. I hate sitting down and closing my eyes. Like I can't do that. I I, I don't want to. And it's, you don't really, you don't have to do any of that stuff, but I think it is, you know, like one of the biggest things is there, there are studies that show that we eat 500 calories less on average daily when we simply just put our phones away during the meals and just think about it. Right. And like actually sit there and enjoy the food and, and think about mm-hmm. how it tastes. And when you do that, you know, you might be eating a McDonald's cheeseburger or whatever it is. And you might look at it and go, I don't even think this tastes that good. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, and, and it's the same thing when, you know, when you've got, like, if you look at your spouse sitting on the couch late at night and you're like, we haven't even talked to each other right? <laughs> you know, in the last two hours. Maybe I should, maybe I should put my phone down and say something. Yes. And like just having those moments where you're actually living essentially exactly. is all it is. Like that's, I think more, way more powerful than any journaling you can do. And what a relief, like even, you know, that's so true. It's, it's like, I think that we have a lot of expectation about what the, what wellness needs to look like. And it's so much more simple than that. It, it's, yeah. it's exactly, it's so much more accessible than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just, it, it's really just a couple of moments of your time <laughs> to just be, notice where you are and notice that I, oh yeah, we haven't actually spoken out loud in quite a while. <laughs> um, like, but I wouldn't have noticed that if I didn't like think about it for a second or like yeah. notice the absence of sound in my environment for a few minutes. Um, and it's that it's those little shifts that I honestly think make the biggest difference because food can be absolutely a way that we restriction and binging or anything, you know, in between where we're using food in a, as a way to escape the present. Yeah. Um, absolutely. That's a way that food gets abused on either side of that spectrum. Um, it's a great vehicle to, to numb out, uh, or to hide in. Totally. Well, I know you have a hard stop soon, so I don't want to get on another tangent and then have to cut <laughs> us off. So, so I'll finish it here. And then, um, I'd love to have you back on for a part two, because there's, there's still so much I have, I have to ask you. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I'd love to come back. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stephanie. Do you want to just tell people um, where they can find you and in your show? Uh, I'm I am Stephanie Michelle on social media, mostly on Instagram, and I am stephaniemichelle.com uh, is my website, and I also host a podcast called Life After Diets. Amazing. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, I had had a ton of fun with this conversation. There's just there's so much that we don't talk about 
on a daily basis. So I think this is super valuable for people to hear. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you as well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Bye guys. All right, guys, hope you took away something valuable from that episode. If you enjoyed it, please let me know. Drop a comment on this episode specifically or just leave a review on The Total Show and make sure to hit subscribe so that you don't miss any of the future episodes. All right, guys, see you next time.